Folks, I want to welcome you all to On the Edge with K.A. Owens. I'm K.A. Owens, and we are broadcasting from the top of the Habern Building in Louisville, Kentucky. This is Forward Radio, WFMP-LP Louisville, 106.5 FM on your radio dial. And in a few minutes, you'll be listening to On the Edge with K.A. Owens. I'm K.A. Owens, and uh, just as a note, uh, we are... Uh, in the middle of Give for Good Louisville, Give for Good. So if you want to support this station and if you like what you're hearing, you go to giveforgoodlouisville.org, giveforgoodlouisville.org, and whatever you give will be much appreciated. Uh, uh, just as a note, uh, uh, and the organization with the first single online uh, donation of 500 or more gets a thousand, uh, and this is the bonus p- pool. And uh, and uh, ten thousand per minute uh, matching minutes will help double donations during five preset times: 8:45 a.m., 1:45 p.m., 5:45 p.m., 8:45 p.m., and 10:45. PM. So that's today. Uh, Give for Good Louisville. If you want to support this station, uh, go to giveforgoodlouisville.org and find Forward Radio. Folks, uh, we're blessed in favor. We've got Norman Carter here with us today. Welcome, Norman. Hello. How are you? Thank you, sir. Great, great. Uh, Norman Carter is a former uh, Philadelphia police officer now living in Atlanta, Georgia, and he's written a book. So tell us about your book, Norman, and how it relates to today's world. Yes, well, my book is entitled The Long Blue Walk, My Journey as a Philly Cop. And although it talks about my experiences in Philadelphia, what I have found is that the experience, the things that I experienced as a police officer are systemic throughout the country. Um, And uh, my book actually deals with my confronting corruption and uh, racism and abuse of authority during my career. And uh, it's rare that someone embarks on that and, and, and sticks to that during their career and actually stays only to be able to retire. Uh, It was not easy. But uh, I had to endure uh, a lot of harassment, which eventually, and retaliation for the things that I exposed, that last well after my retirement. In fact, it became so intense that I had to move from my home city of Philadelphia to the metropolitan Atlanta area. So tell us about... Well, first, tell us about why you decided to become a police officer in the first place, what the training was like, what the journey, and then what did you see as a uh, you know young and up-and-coming police officer that made you feel like you had to take a stand? Well, I have been accused of being an idealist. I was born in uh, one of the poor sections of Philadelphia, And I saw police abuse during the 1950s and 1960s. In fact, my neighborhood was torn apart to a riot in 1960. 
But it, it was on uh, the time that I came on. It was during a time of a lot of civil unrest across the country, and uh, I wanted to do my part, my little part, to make things right. And one of the ways that I thought that 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 I could best affect my people, African Americans, the people who grew up in my neighborhood, was to work within the system. And because in my mind, that was the way to start change. And um, that's that's the way that I came on the department. Uh, actually, for my 25-year career, I never changed that focus. I was criticized for it, but I never changed it. And um, it took me perhaps the academy training was was great. Um, I thought it I thought it covered a, a, a lot and prepared me to work on the street. But as soon as I hit the street after my eight weeks of training, I found out that um, a lot of what they said in the academy uh, really wasn't the way things worked on the street. Um, I was I was immediately, immediately uh, exposed to corruption. And the fact that I wouldn't buy into it made me an outsider from the, from the very beginning. That was my first week uh, working in a police district. And then once um, I confronted a situation where a a black female who was approximately, I'm going to say around 40, 45 years old, was driven two miles, two miles plus in the trunk of a police car, and I confronted the police officer who did it. Uh, I was a re- immediately an outsider. And from that moment on, uh, Two veteran police officers wanted to work with me because, number one, they knew that I didn't take money, I didn't take graft, I couldn't be bought, and number two, I wouldn't tolerate abuse uh, of authority, particularly abuse of authority directed towards African Americans. And those those were the areas that I was predominantly confined to during my early years. And. Uh, I maintained that, and then I guess after I had about 10 years on, I was really confronted with the major problem, which was we had police officers who were part of a burglary ring. They facilitated and participated in the burglary ring. And I, because I exposed that, uh, that resulted in my uh, being harassed uh, for uh, definitely solid for two years. And then after my retirement for a couple of years, then it got to the point where I, I thought it was best, to my best interest to leave the city of Philadelphia. So would you say, in general, that police officers are taught the right thing in police academy, but there's something about the police culture once they get out that sort of works against what they were taught? Yes, and, and, and it's, it's not just Philadelphia because... Uh, now I'm part of an organization called the Lamplighter Project, which is a, a group of uh, law enforcement whistleblowers throughout the country. And all of us are running into the same thing. We're seeking protection for people such as I 
and, and the other officers who are coming up who see uh, abuses. Um, a perfect example would be um, the George Floyd, um, and that's you had where you had police officers just standing there while man was being strangled to death. Um, you had there in Louisville, you had the Breonna Taylor uh, event where uh, the, the the corruption and abuse not only uh, began with the um, the police officer initiated the, the so-called search warrant, but went throughout your system um, from the magistrate all the way up to the district attorney. And, and, and these are the things that poor people, especially African-Americans, have had to deal with for decades, and, and I'm still fighting that battle. And my book was written not just to show people about what had happened to me and the things that I saw, but my goal is to empower people, especially police officers, to stand up and speak out to protect the people in their community from uh, police abuse and police corruption and government corruption. So let people know the name of your book again. Yes, the name of my book again is The Long Blue Walk. My journey as a Philly cop, it's available on Amazon at Amazon.com, or you can pick it up at your Barnes & Noble uh, bookstore. So, 25 years with the Philadelphia Police Department. Uh, were there any good role models that you had uh, that you saw doing the right thing during that time of note? Uh, oh, absolutely. Uh, we had a, a police officer in New York uh, by the name of Frank Serpico who was shot for uh, for not going along. He was shot, set up and shot. He didn't die, but he, in fact, he's still alive uh, for exposing uh, corruption in the New York Police Department. And that eventually evolved into the NAP Commission, which... Um, which, which tried to institute uh, police reforms not only in New York, but recommendations for reforms throughout the country. Uh, we had a, a police officer by the name of, of Alfonso Dio, who also, uh, he was the president of the NAACP in Philadelphia, also a police officer. And at one point, he was uh, picked to uh, be the chief of police in the Philadelphia, Mississippi Police Department because uh, of adverse publicity and adverse things that were happening in, happening in Philadelphia, Mississippi, particularly after the three, uh, uh, three men were killed, a voter registration people that went down shortly after that uh, to reorganize that police department. And then he came back to Philadelphia. Um, people such as that. Um, and then, you know, I, I had to borrow uh, uh, some of the philosophies of uh, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, uh, other civil rights leaders who, uh, number one, not only champ championed civil rights, but were also brought to light uh, police abuse 
and, 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 and abusive authority and, and, and corruption. And I'm talking about brutality, uh, unnecessarily meted out. And one of the things that I uh, received uh, national note for was a practice of, of writing off serious crimes in predominantly African-American neighborhoods. And that doesn't sound like much, but what I found out that that's what happened in Philadelphia, but it went on in cities across the country. Uh, I didn't find that out until I was... Now, what does uh, writing off mean? In other words, let's say um, someone be... Well, the first prime example would be a woman is raped, and the woman... Uh, can, has a vague description of the perpetrator, but can't give anything really concrete. And so what happens is they they do like a cursory investigation, and then after that is done, that crime is downgraded from uh, a rape or sexual assault to something, nothing more than a simple investigation of a person. And they, and that's the end of it. The crime is, there's, there's no further investigation at all, according to police records and records that are submitted to the Federal Bureau of Investigation. There is no record of that crime ever being committed. And, what, and, and that's done, there's a political reason for that done, done because it, for that being done is because it makes the police departments look better. The lower their crime rate, it makes it look as if they're doing a great job. But eventually what it does is it removes a lot of police services from the community because it's, the statistics are showing that crime is low, the crime rate is low. And what that has the effect of doing is less police services in the communities that need it. And that was one of the things that I uh, that I exposed, and I was uh, uh, featured on Dateline NBC, and also a huge expose in the Philadelphia, Philadelphia Inquirer, and that resulted in changes in cities across the country, and uh, uh, and that was to the benefit of particularly low income and minority communities. Folks, we're in the. Uh uh, middle of uh, trying to raise a, uh, a few dollars to keep the station going. So if you enjoy what you're listening to and the type of programming that we have on WFMP, please go to giveforgoodlouisville.org. That's giveforgoodlouisville.org, G-I-V-E-F-O-R-G-O-O-D-L-O-U-I-S-V-I-L-L-E.org. And, of course, org is uh, O-R-G. And uh, whatever you can give will be much uh, Appreciated. So, uh, you know, you get uh, the organizations get grand prizes, uh, the first to third place in each nonprofit size category for most unique donations. And they're all tiers. And, you know, first place 3,000, second place 2,500, third place 2,000. So the more every dollar you give actually helps and can turn into more dollars. So if you want to support the station, go to giveforgoodlouisville.org. So folks, we're here with Norman Carter, who's an author, who's a retired uh, Philadelphia police officer. And and give folks the name of your book again, Norman. 
it's the long blue walk, my journey as a Philly cop, and you can purchase it through Amazon.com online, or you can pick it up at your local Barnes and Noble bookstore. So, Norman, uh, for years we've been trying to make police departments better, in particularly how they treat uh, lower-income people, poor people, people of color. And I suppose we've had some success, but some notable failures. And what do you think is keeping us from making our police departments better? What's the main reason or reasons? Well, one of the things that I think is that there is tremendous political pressure generated by groups such as the Fraternal Order of Police that seek to maintain the status quo. And please do not underestimate their political power. And uh, it's it's a, it's it's a it's a police organization, but uh, it, it's just a negative influence, and particularly for uh, people of color. The next thing is, and I talk about this in my book, is that people have to be proactive with their police departments. In other words, there needs to be your local police department needs to meet with the community on at least a monthly basis. And when people come to those uh, meetings with concerns, those concerns must be immediately addressed and uh, and, if, and if warranted, passed on to, to higher authorities. Perhaps that local police department can't handle it, but there has to be uh, uh, a back and forth communication to eliminate those to eliminate those problems, one of the things that I say in my book, and I noticed in my police experience, there's no way that you can have these violent gangs and uh, and, and other uh, large criminal enterprises in in, in 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 our poor communities without complicity and corruption by the police departments and the police departments. And that means not just the police department, but your mayor, your police commissioner, they all need to be held accountable because these things can be addressed. And and your your city council people or however your government is set up, they need to be more responsive. And we as a people need to um, be, once again, more proactive and more vocal with them. We can't not depend on our local leaders to do the right thing without us voicing our outrage when outrage needs to be voiced. And I don't mean uh, rioting in the streets or demonstration. Attend your city council meetings. Insist that your police commanders meet with the community on a regular basis. And when, when those and, and this is a venue where complaints can be done and also we need in every city there needs to be an anonymous number phone number where people can call in and 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 anonymously register complaints about police abuses in their neighborhood um, 
that needs to be done. I don't think that's done anywhere in the country. But uh, as we know, we African-Americans as a group have a great distrust for our, our police departments. And, 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 but there needs to be a way to address them. And, and anonymous phone calls it, 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 it is one part of it. But it, it, and that's just not, a, not to report just uh, corrupt police or police abuses, but also crime in their neighborhoods. Um, um, that's, that's very important. And um, the other part of this is support the police officers who are out there doing a good job. Every police officer is not corrupt. There is a lot of pressure put on what we will call good cops to keep silent. We talk about that blue wall of silence. That can go away if the public will support police officers who speak out. And there are police officers who do that, who really want to come in and help the community. Uh, but we have to be more vocal and we have to make our government leaders responsive. We cannot continue to settle for the status quo and just trust that with that our being silent, by being silent, that our leaders will do the right thing. They will take the path of least resistance and do as little as possible until you make them do that, make them accountable. So um, you're living in Atlanta, Georgia now, and the former police chief there was Erica Shields, and she's now here in Louisville, Kentucky. She's now the uh, chief of the Louisville Metro Police Department. And so there's a lot of things she has to deal with because of the situation we've had in Louisville with Breonna Taylor and other incidents and, you know, federal investigations, so on and so forth. But uh, what was your take on Chief Shields uh, uh, down there in Atlanta, GA? I, I, I thought, and this is based on my experience as a police officer, that she was doing a fantastic job with the Atlanta Police Department. There, there were a lot of um, things that, that, that needed to be addressed, a lot of conditions that needed to be addressed, and, and she was very aggressive about that. She was very, very active in the communities, attending community meetings. Uh, in fact, I mean, she's not the biggest person in the world. When we had our civil unrest here, uh, she would actually like wade into the crowds just to talk to people, just to get people's concerns and to assure them that the police department was going to be responsive to their concerns. Uh, sadly, there was a incident uh, here in, um, there were two incidents really, of police abuse of authority. And um, she wanted to handle them, the, these, the complaints in the proper way to make sure that these police officers who were involved received the proper punishment. And, 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 and there's a, there are procedures for everything. And what happened, there was political pressure put upon her not to do things that way. And she refused to do that. She has a lot of integrity. She refused to do that. So what the mayor and the district attorney did was go around her and there were documents that she needed to sign. Well, they went through the process without her having, without her signature. 
she was basically ostracized by the mayor and uh, the district attorney. And they basically forced her to, to leave. Um, I think that you have a tremendous leader. Uh, as a, and I don't know her. I have never talked to her before. But just based on the job performance that I saw, that I think that you have someone that is actually going to benefit not only the police department there in Louisville, but actually benefit the, the people in that community to make them safer and to make the police department more, more responsive to their needs. So folks, uh, we're trying to raise money for the station. So if you like the type of programming that you're hearing, uh, on a day-to-day basis on uh, 106.5 FM, WFMP. Uh, go to giveforgoodlouisville.org. That's G-I-V-E-F-O-R-G-O-O-D-L-O-U-I-S-V-I-L-L-E.org. And, of course, that's O-R-G. And uh, uh, chip in a few dollars to keep everything going. Folks, we're here with the author of The Long Blue Walk, My Journey as a Philly Cop by Norman Carter. And uh, the show you're listening to today is On the Edge with K.A. Owens, and I'm K.A. Owens. So uh, when you were talking about the, the, the Chief Shields, didn't the political pressure force that case to more or less be bungled and therefore the officers that were uh, doing things that were wrong are still in the department because the things weren't done right. Uh, yes, exactly. And um, one of, this is one of the, because one officer is still under, uh, under indictment for, um, for killing uh, 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 a person. But there were other officers involved and this seems to be a pattern in police departments throughout the country where investigations are purposely bungled for either political expediency or for um, just to, to maintain the status quo. And what happens is those, this is why people see officers committing serious offenses and that are basically criminal offenses, and somewhere down the road they get their jobs back and they're back working, working on the street. Um, this is done. This is purposely done, and it's sad because people's lives are affected. And and this is what these people do not realize is that when you put bad cops back on the street. You adversely affect the lives of everyone who comes near those police officers. And in some instances, you cost people their lives. And that shouldn't happen. Uh, a police officer who engages in a, a wanton misuse of force, be it uh, beating a suspect or shooting someone and killing them, they need to be held accountable. And there are legal procedures, there are ways that things need to be done. And, and they need to be done expeditiously. There's no such thing as there's a six months investigation or a one year investigation has happened in Chicago. That should not happen. And 
So, um, so Chief Shields, in that case, back in Atlanta, what you're saying, she wanted to dot the I and cross the T to make sure that, uh, you know, that it would hold up uh, exactly. at the end of exactly. the road. And the political pressure uh, by going around her, the I's weren't dotted and the T's weren't crossed. And, and, you know, but what you're saying is that that's not the first time that that's happened uh, uh purposeful bunglings that allows police officers to walk after investigation. So, Correct. so folks, we do want to thank uh, Norman Carter, the author of The Long Blue Walk, My Journey as a, as a Philly Cop, a retired Philadelphia police officer. Thank you so much for being here with us today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me, Mr. Owens. Folks, you were listening to On the Edge with K.A. Owens. And don't forget to go to GiveForGoodLouisville.org.